Joshua chapter 24. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word. We're going to be in verse 15. And the uh, back, backdrop here to this is that Joshua has led Israel, the nation of Israel, um, over the Jordan River and led them to conquer their promised land. And uh, they have conquered the enemy. They have taken what belonged to them that God had promised them, and they have divided it up amongst themselves. And Joshua is now aged. He's nearing his time of death. And so he calls the country together for one last meeting. Joshua 24 contains the words that Joshua gave as an elder statesman to the nation as their leader. We come to verse 15 and we find a verse that's very common. In fact, this verse is maybe even hanging in many of your homes, at least some portion of it. Look what he says in regards to leading his family and in challenging the nation of Israel and the families to be led by godly men and women. Look there, verse 15. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom ye will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served, which were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites, in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Let's read that last phrase together, beginning at but as. Ready? Here we go. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We're looking at the construction of a Christian home. And so far, we've looked at a spiritual home, and we've looked at a separated home. This morning, we're going to look intently at a stable home, a stable home. Now, uh, these principles, while we will make them apply directly to those that have a family or are living with a family life, whether that's you're married or you have children at home, uh, I do believe the principles that we're covering apply to everyone all the same. You may be here and you may be single or you may be a widow, uh, you may be um, in a spot where uh, you think, well, the, the whole Christian home topic doesn't really apply much to me. And I would tell you that these topics, do, these uh, messages do generically apply to all of us. We can all work on living a more stable life and having more stable relationships. And so I would challenge everyone to listen intently this morning as we look at this topic of a stable home. Let's pray together. Lord, we are grateful to once again be gathered. Lord, uh, there are many who still can't come uh, for health concerns. And they're watching in even right now. We pray for them. But Lord, help us to make the most of our time here. Help us to stay attentive and alert. And Lord, may the Word of God minister to our hearts. And Lord, may we get much from this. Help us to be husbands and wives, fathers and mothers, children that are, Lord, living consistent, faithful lifestyles. Lord, would you bring great stability to marriages that are struggling, great stability to parent-child relationships that are struggling. Lord, work in our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Well, a stable home, a stable home is a home that is predictively positive. I'd encourage you to get a piece of paper and a pen and take some notes this morning. And if you do so, write those two words at the top of your notes, predictively positive, predictively positive. We are trying to develop within your home a spiritual environment that is predictable. It is predictable. In fact, 
when a husband comes home from work, a father comes home from work, he looks forward to coming home because it is the place of safety. It is his refuge from the storm of life. There is joy and happiness there more often uh, than there would uh, than it would not be there. Now, no one is perfect, and no home is perfect, and there are going to be times where you have a spat with your spouse, or you're having a bad day, or your spouse is having a bad day, and you come, maybe you come home and things aren't so great. But more often than not, when you come home from work, whether you're a, a, a working mom or a working dad, a husband or wife, you come home to a happy home, a positive home. That is the goal, that children don't seek to hide out at their friend's house. Children seek to be with you in your home as often as possible because there is an environment not of hostility but of hospitality. There is a home that is predictively positive. It is a stable home. How do we go about developing that? Well, I've got four thoughts this morning from God's Word that topically I would like to share with you about the uh, about how to develop how to develop a stable home life. Uh, let's look at point number one of the message this evening or this morning rather. And notice a place of communication. A place of communication. Turn in your Bibles to First Peter chapter three and verse number seven. We'll be highlighting this verse again this evening in the roundtable discussion. But let's look at it in a little bit different light right now. And notice there. In verse number 7 of 1 Peter 3, I'll give you a minute to turn there. But while you're turning there, I'll just say that communication is so key. It's so important and uh, how we communicate and how we use our words and that we use our words and that we use our ears and we fully, intently listen to each other. Not only what's being said, but the spirit of what's being said. We get the whole thing. Look at verse 7 of 1 Peter 3. It says, Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them, speaking of the wives, according to knowledge. Dwell with them according to knowledge. Now, what is the benefit of dwelling with your wife, men, according to knowledge? Look here. Giving honor unto the wife. When I learn how to communicate with my wife, when I learn how to dwell with her according to knowledge, I give honor to her. Look here. As under the weaker vessel and as being heirs together, together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. So I am to dwell with my wife according to knowledge. And ladies, the same would apply to you. You are to dwell with your husbands according to knowledge. And uh, children, you are to dwell with your parents according to knowledge. And parents, you are to dwell with your children according to knowledge. There must be open lines of communication within your home. Communication is key to any relationship. You show me a relationship that's breaking down, and more often than not, I'll show you a relationship where the communication has broken down. Now again, that's not in every case, but in most cases it is. We must learn to communicate. Sir, do you know what your wife's favorites are? Do you know what her favorite candy bar is, her favorite restaurant, her favorite item from that restaurant? Uh, Ma'am, do you know your husband's favorites? Uh, My wife's favorites seem to change just about every week. And she keeps me on my toes. And one week she'll love a candy bar, and the next week she won't be able to stand it. And um, she'll tell me one week that she hates 
the way something tastes, only for us to be out. And maybe I'm pumping gas, and she says, can you run in and get me that item? I'm craving it. And I said, two weeks ago, you hated it, and now you're craving it. And she'll take one bite and say, okay, that's enough. You can have the rest. And um, uh, it's constantly changing. And I could get annoyed by that. I could be bothered by that and say, uh, why can't you just make up your mind? But it keeps me on my toes. It makes me where I must continue to communicate. Uh, I, I got into a phase recently where I was bringing her a lot of chocolate home. I'd stop at the store and I'd bring her a Hershey chocolate bar home. And then I'd get one of those Lindor truffle chocolate bars and bring that home. And I noticed they weren't getting eaten. They were just kind of laying all over the place. And I said, what's going on here? She's like, well, I'm not really in a chocolate mode right now. She said, if you want chocolate, bring me a piece of chocolate cake and a good piece of chocolate cake. I said, boy, you've gotten picky, haven't you? And uh, she, uh, and, and so then uh, I'll notice she st- stows those away, and then she'll hit a phase where that's all she wants, and she'll go through and want that. How am I to know that if I don't communicate with her? And you do know that communicating, ladies, is more than just talking. You have to listen. You have to listen. Um, um When two people talk to each other, a good deal of what is said is never heard. Why? Too many people forget they must compete with the inner voice of the person that they are talking to. To really be understood, we must learn to handle the emotional aspects, don't miss that, the emotional aspects of communication. Have you ever been talking with someone and they're going on and on and on, and they get done with, you know, their two or three minutes of talking, and you go, I have no idea what they just said. How many husbands know what I'm talking about, all right? Wow. And what happened? They were talking, and you were looking at them, and you were nodding your head, but you had a conversation going on with your own inner voice. Some of you are doing that right now with my preaching. (laughs) We must learn how to communicate. We must learn not only how to speak, but how to listen. Have you ever talked with someone and they have no interest in what you're saying? They're just waiting for your mouth to stop moving so they can start moving theirs? Well, you don't enjoy talking to people like that, do you? They're not really interested in you. They're interested in you hearing about them. I have a friend who lives in Virginia whose name is Justin. I've known Justin since I was a teenager. And Justin is one of my favorite people on the earth. I don't talk to Justin all that often. He's busy and I'm busy. But one of the reasons why I like Justin so much is that he's always made me feel like everything I have to say is super important. When I'm speaking with Justin, he blocks everything else, everything out and everyone out. And he hangs on every word that comes out of my mouth. Every word. And it makes me feel like he genuinely cares about me. You know, that's the key to being a good communicator. We need to learn how to express and how to understand how other people feel. Many uh, married couples spend an average of 27 and a half minutes per week talking to each other. This is according to Ray Bridwhistle, who is a speech communication expert. He says, however, 
these same couples spend 46 hours per week interacting with technology. 27 and a half minutes per week talking. 46 hours per week interacting with technology. I'd say that's out of balance. Just a little bit. Um, you say, well, Pastor, where's the balance? A couple of things to consider. Number one, have a meal together each day as a family. And put the technology away. Turn the TV in the living room off. Put your phones away. In fact, mom and dad, you should have a rule that there is no technology at the dinner table. None. It's all put away and you all speak and you listen to each other. You communicate. And don't let your children rush to their food and then just push away from the table and leave. You make them ask to be dismissed and you let them be dismissed after family time has been enjoyed with communication. Make that the culture in your home where there is that time to connect. Um, uh, one uh, dad tells a story about how his son at the dinner table was rushing through a story and leaving important details out of the story. And he, uh, he uh, noticed the child was just rushing to hurry up and get done. And the dad said, son, don't be in such a hurry. Speak slower. And he said, dad, I would speak slower, but you're always in a hurry for me to finish my story. He said, I'll tell you what, I'll speak slower if you will listen slower. Oh, that is so important. Us parents, sometimes with our children, we have such a short attention span. We don't give them the time to really understand them. We must learn to communicate. To the husbands and wives here this morning, I would encourage you to take a good 15 minutes each day. And again, don't set a timer and walk away when it goes off, all right? You, you 15 minutes each day. Uh, there is an uh, old commercial, a Klondike bar commercial that uh, used to come on TV. Some of you already know the commercial I'm talking about. But the husband's sitting on the couch with his wife, and there's a timer above her head. And he's paying attention to what she's saying, and he's in pain listening to her. And when the timer hits zero, he goes, yes, I'm done! And he gets his Klondike bar. That's not how it's to work, all right? Uh, you shouldn't have to endure your spouse. But uh, 15 minutes where you're engaged with your spouse and you are listening to them intently and you're speaking intently, if you'll do that each day, then you can work through just about anything. And so we're going to have a, a stable home. We have to have a home, a place. Our home must be a place of communication. Number two, notice a place of care, a place of care. Turn over to Colossians chapter 3 with me and look at verse 18. And again, we're going to be looking at these verses again this evening when we look at the corruption of the home. Uh, but again, I'll draw something out a little bit different right here. Look at verse 18 and read down with me to, through verse number 21, Colossians chapter 3. Notice the care laid out in the verse here. Notice how that each one is to be deferential and take care of the other. And every role within a home is listed in these short four verses here. Verse 18, wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as it is fit in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. Why do children, why do children obey their parents? Well, it pleases the Lord. 
but it also brings a home that shows the children care about the parents. To the children in the room this morning, and there's a handful of you in here, let me just ask you a direct question. If we were to take your obedience and use that as a barometer for how much you love your mom and dad, then how much do you love them? You see, when we can't follow the rules that our parents lay out for us, then what we're communicating to our parents is, I don't care about you. I don't care about your rules. And I'm speaking to the children in here as a father. And there's other children watching online. When my children disobey me, I don't feel like they love me. I can remember sitting in church when I, I was a newlywed. It was before I had kids. There was a teenage girl sitting uh, in front of us. Her name was Megan. Megan was a 16-year-old girl, and she was having a major attitude with her mother right before church. My wife began to cry. She reached up and touched Megan on the arm. Megan was a cheerleader on the cheer squad, and my wife was overseeing the cheer squad that year. And My wife looked at Megan with tears in her eyes, and Megan's sitting there with a nasty attitude on her face and her arms crossed. And my wife said to Megan, she said, what is your problem, Megan? And, and Megan didn't respond, and my wife looked at Megan and said, I wish my mother was here so I could even show her any love. She said, my mom lives on the other side of the world, and I never get to see her. She said, you have your mom in your life. You value her. You cherish her. You treat her with respect. Boy, children, God has called you to obey your parents. And If we're going to have a home that's stable, we must follow the rules that our parents lay out for us. Or there will be no stability in the home. Your parents could be the best parents in the whole wide world. If you refuse to follow the rules that are laid out by them for you, then there is no structure, there is no order, there is no stability. To the wives this morning, I would say this, God has called you to follow the leadership of your husband. That does not mean you're going to agree with every decision he makes. It's easy to follow your husband's leadership when you agree with his decision-making, Anybody can do that. But can you follow your husband's leadership when you don't agree with his decision-making? You ladies are smart enough to know how to communicate uh, reverently and carefully your disagreements. But at the end of the day, when he makes a decision, God has called him to be the leader. And if you care for your husband, you get in behind him and you follow him. You follow him. So the husbands this morning, God does not want you... Uh, quoting uh, Ephesians 5.22 or Colossians 3.18 about how the woman is to come under and submit in a nasty tone. God has not called you to lead in an ugly way. He's called you to lead with a loving spirit. And I think that more women would get in line with the idea of submitting to their husband if their husband would actually care for them and treat them with love. When we love someone and we genuinely care for them, and we pour out our leadership, our love leadership on them, boy, they want to get in behind us and follow us. If we're going to have a stable home, we must be a home that cares for each other. Turn over to Philippians chapter 2 and look at verse number 3. A place of care. Philippians chapter 2 and look at verse number 3. And verse 5 is a famous verse in the Bible. Verse 5 of Philippians 2 says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And we're reminded to have the mind of Christ. What is the mind of Christ? Well, verse 3 tells us in plain terms 
what the mind of Christ is. Look there. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than himself. Let each esteem other other better than himself. So a stable home, and if you're taking notes, I'm going to give you three thoughts under a place of care, and I would encourage you to to, uh, write these down. They won't be on the screen, but write them down. A stable home is a place of deference. It's a place of deference. It's a home where our children prefer the other ahead of themselves. Oftentimes, my two children, Matthew and April, they'll get into an argument. And uh, they find clever ways of wording it, but can I just boil it down and tell you what their argument is? They're both saying, me first. Me first. I want my way over you having your way. How many of you moms and dads know what I'm talking about? You've seen this, right? And it's uh, me first, me first. And uh, the other night at the dinner table, um, uh, they were arguing over who was going to do their piano practice first. They're taking piano lessons. And uh, they're, well, I'm going to go first. No, I'm going to go first. No, I'm going to go first. And on a regular basis, I have to say to my children who are sinners, I have to say, you too need to learn how to defer to the other. You need to learn how to prefer one another. Instead of you two arguing about who's going to go first, you should be arguing about letting the other one go first. But is it pharisaical of me to preach that to my children and then me turn around and prefer myself ahead of my wife and my children? I would say it is. I, uh, I, love, I love to eat food. Amen? I'm a foodie on some level. Can you tell? Amen. I love to eat. And I love to buy myself food. Um, I stopped this morning on the way in and I got a couple of Dunkin' Donuts. And I love my coffee. I love, I, I, I love to do that. And there was a time where I was not stopping at the store and buying my wife fun, nice things that she likes. And my, one of my wife's, if you know Gary Chapman's love languages... One of the love languages, gifts, giving and get, getting and giving gifts. And my wife's love language, one of them, is gift giving and receiving. And so I, um, I um, uh, uh, was getting in the habit of buying her gifts because I know that's how she feels loved. And I don't so much need that, but she enjoys that. And so for a while, I was buying myself a coffee. I love buying myself stuff. But I went two, three, four, five, six months, and I didn't buy her anything. Used to be I'd get her a candy bar, or I'd get her a chocolate cake, or I'd get her some fruit that she enjoyed, and I stopped doing that. And here I am preaching deference to my children, but I'm not showing that to my wife. Well, there's a problem there. If we're going to have a, a stable home, it needs to be a place of care. And if it's going to be a place of care, then the home must be filled with people who defer to the other. Defer to the other, a place of deference. Uh, here's something else below a, 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 a place of care. Notice a stable home is a place of forgiveness. A place of forgiveness. I promise you that your home is going to have offenses. Your marriage is going to have problems. Your children are going to misbehave. Uh, occasionally, you, husband and wife, are going to fib to each other to try to cover up something small or sometimes even something large. And there's going to be things that are done wrong. The question isn't, uh, when is my spouse going to stop acting this way? The question is, when am I going to learn to forgive? When am I going to learn to let go? Uh, A happy marriage uh, is filled with two good forgivers. A happy home is filled with two 
good forgivers. Last night I had to correct one of my children pretty hard and I had to punish that child pretty hard. And we got down to the end and I made sure that child was repentant over what they had done. And I stayed with that punishment till I was convinced that child was for, uh, uh, repentant over what they had done. And that child looked at me and said, Dad, I am sorry. Will you please forgive me? And I embraced that child and I whispered in that child's ear, Your father forgives you. How many of you here will admit it, uh, just straight out admit it, you have a hard time saying to someone else the words, I'm sorry. If that's you, would you raise your hand? You have a hard time saying, I'm sorry. How many of you are sitting next to someone who has a hard time? No, I'm I'm teasing. (laughs) Don't raise your hand, okay? Um, The four people that are here at the 11 o'clock hour that were here at the 830 hour, they're having to hear the same bad jokes twice, so pray for them, okay? But... um, uh, have a hard time saying I'm sorry. Some folks have a hard, and men get that reputation, right, of having a hard time saying I'm sorry. But can I tell you that some people have a really hard time saying I forgive you. Some folks need the apology to be so deep that it's just unrealistic. And when someone is legitimately sorry over their actions, and they're asking you to forgive them, now I get sometimes the offense is so big and so deep, it's hard to forgive right away. But if we're going to have a stable home, we must have a home that is filled with good forgivers. A stable home is not only a place of deference, a place of forgiveness. A stable home is also a place where relationships are valued. Children, how much do you value the relationship with mom and dad? How much do you value the relationship with your siblings? Husband, how much do you really value your wife? And the relationship you have with your wife. Ma'am, how much do you value that relationship with your husband? Are you putting things? Are you putting possessions? Are you putting other people ahead of your family? If we're going to have a stable home, we must value those relationships. A place of care. Notice number three, a place of correction. I hasten, a place of correction. I could take you to Hebrews chapter number 12, and show you where the Bible instructs us to correct and love. And I I thought about going there, but instead I'm going to take you to two other verses. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. And a lot of emphasis gets put on the second half of the verse. I want to point out that first word in the verse, and that is the word train. Train. Train up a child. A, uh, a soul, or rather a Native American, back when they were bow and arrow centric, they would take a stick that had knots in it, and maybe it was a little crooked, and with water and heat, they would work the knots out, they would straighten up the stick, they would train the stick to be a straight shaft, they would polish that shaft, and they would put it in their quiver to use in time of battle to use in time of a hunt. And mom and dad, God, in Proverbs, or rather Psalm 127, says that children are as arrows in the hands of a mighty warrior. Can I tell you, my children are not born in their behavior as straight. And I don't mean that in the terms of sexuality. I mean in their terms of their behavior. They were not born straight. They were born crooked because they're little sinners. God has called my wife and I to work out 
the flaws, to work out the sin, to straighten out their behavior and prepare them when they hit 18 so that we can launch them in the world at a target to accomplish something good uh, uh, for God in this world. And I am called to train them. If I'm going to train my children, that means that I must correct them. I must correct their behavior. In fact, we're given the example of someone in the Bible who was a man of God who did not correct his children and God punished him greatly for it. First Samuel chapter 3 verse 13 says, for I have told him that I will judge his house forever, speaking of Eli, for the iniquity which he knoweth, because, listen here, his son's made themselves vile, listen to the Bible, what the Bible says here, and he, Eli, restrained them not. Boy, these boys went off and did some vile things, and Dad just looked the other way. Dad just let it go. Dad didn't do anything about it. Dad uh, did not enforce whatever rules he had. He let it slide. And what happens? The Bible labels his sons as sons of the devil or sons of Belial. There are two elements, really, to parenting. And this may be an oversimplification, but stay with me here. You have rules, and you have relationships. You know, rules without relationship leads to rebellion. If all you are is rules, 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 come down hard on the children for doing wrong, and you don't have the foundation of a relationship with them, that child is going to probably rebel. How many know what I'm talking about this morning? Did you know the opposite is true and is more of a problem in 2020? Relationship without rules also leads to rebellion. Mom and Dad, if you're not willing to blow the whistle, when your children step out of bounds, your children don't respect you. And why should they? You threaten them that if they do something, you're going to come down hard on them, and then you don't come hard down on them. You're not obeying yourself. Why should your children obey you? You can't even follow what you claimed you would do if they did wrong. And so uh, your children learn the pattern that they can do wrong until you're just irritated, and then when you get irritated, you're going to lower the boom. Well, then they're just going to do wrong up to that line. Wherever you draw the line, that's where they're going to walk. Let me give you three words to write down below this idea of a place of correction. I need to wrap it up here. Notice the first word is explained. A stable home has rules that are well explained. Well explained. If your rules are vague, if your rules are vague, they will not be followed. They need to be very specific. The rules need to be very specific. In my home, we have three rules that our children are given. The first rule is... is uh, 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 obedience all the time. First time, every time. The second rule is no attitude. No attitude. The third rule is no lying. Those are the three rules we enforce. And we enforce, we enforce them with a heavy hand. A place of correction. They need to be well explained. Those won't have to be your rules, but you need to have rules in your house and they need to be well explained. The second word here is the word enforced. A stable home has rules that are well enforced. Well enforced. Um, I drive up and down Highway 8 every day to get to work. And since this COVID virus has hit, police officers have quit pulling people over. And I don't blame them, but they just have. Now, the speed limit on 8 is 55. 
I've never gone 55, and I, very few people go 55 up and down 8. If you go 55 up and down 8, I commend you on following the rules. Uh, I don't, okay? I'm in the 70-75 range going up and down 8. And I know that's too fast for some of you. I'm just being transparent here. You can judge me all you want, amen? But I'm going 70-75 up and down 8. And I used to be the fast car. I'm not the fast car anymore. There are cars flying by me every day going 90 to 100 miles an hour. Every day. And you know why? Because they know the rules aren't being enforced. Mom and Dad, if you're not going to enforce the rules, you can have all the rules you want. If you're not going to enforce them, a rule not enforced is not a rule at all. You have to enforce them, and you have to enforce them every time. There must be consequences for wrongdoing, and you must be firm on it. Otherwise, your children just don't respect you. The third word I'd like for you to write down is the word esteemed. A stable home has rules that are well esteemed. Eventually, your children will learn to appreciate the rules if you explain why you have the rules and what the rules are, and you consistently enforce them. Eventually, your children will appreciate or esteem the rules. Remember, you need the foundation of a relationship, and then you need to build on top of that foundation the enforcement of the rules, rules that are esteemed. The Bible teaches the concept of spanking your children. Now, when they become teenagers, uh, there are other methods that you should put into play. But for those listening in today that still have small children at home, I would encourage you to follow the biblical model. You say, well, pastor, spanking doesn't work. And I would say, yes, it does. You'd say, well, it doesn't work in my home. And I would say that's because you're doing it wrong. You say, well, pastor, how can you be so dogmatic on that? And I I, I liked this illustration. Uh, Early after I had arrived to this church, I had a plumbing issue in my home. And so I called Brother Owens, who is a plumber, and he instructed me to get a particular tool and to use that tool to fix the problem. I put that tool to use, and the problem was not fixed. I looked at the tool, and I said, this tool does not work. Brother Owens came to my house, and he took that same tool that I bought, and it worked. Was it the tool? Or was it the person holding the tool? Don't tell me a paddle doesn't work. Because the Bible says it does. Maybe it's the person holding the paddle. A place of correction. Lastly, number four, a place of consistency. A place of consistency. Go to Job chapter 1 and verse number 5. We've got about six minutes left here until we uh, close up the service. Job chapter 1 and verse number 5. Job was a man who uh, was, was declared by God to be perfect, and in that context it means mature. He was mature, he was upright, he hated evil. He was a great father to his children. Look at verse 5. It says, and it was so, Job chapter 1, and it was so when the days of their feastings were gone about that Job sent and sanctified them and rose up early in the morning and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my sons... Where my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Notice the last four words. Underline these words in your Bible if you haven't already. Thus did Job continually. Thus did Job 
regularly. Thus did Job consistently. Job had a stable home because Job was a stable guy. Now I'm going to make a very obvious statement here that needs to be made at some point in the message. You cannot have a stable home unless that home is filled with stable people. Dad, you can't expect to have a stable home if you're all over the map with your emotions. Your, your, your wife comes home, or you come home from work, and your wife and children are on eggshells because they don't know how your day at work went, and you, they don't know what kind of mood you're going to come home in. Well, forget stability in your home. You're not stable. Ma'am, your children can't be worried about how your day at work went or what side of the bed you rolled out on today, and they're kind of trying to figure you out up front. Uh, uh, children, you can't expect your home to be stable if you're all over the map with your behavior. We all must make a commitment to be stable if we're going to have a stable home. We all must make a commitment to be consistent. Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed. Lord, I pray that you'd help us during these next few minutes to evaluate where we are in this area. Lord, our church should be filled with homes that are stable. Husbands who look forward and wives that work as well look forward to going home at the end of the day, because that's their place of refuge. Children who show their parents love and respect through their obedience and honor. Lord, help show us where we can improve individually. Help us to have homes that are stable. Lord, for the ones that are single or not living the home life, may those folks evaluate how stable they are in their relationships. And seek to be consistent in who they are. In Jesus' name we pray.